This is a podcast from Minute Media. Sox fans, here are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Welcome everyone, the Bastards are back for this Monday edition of the podcast. We are brought to you in part by the Minute Media Podcast Network. The Red Sox just wrapped up a three-game set against the Oakland Athletics Sweeping the series three games to nothing. They are currently still in fourth place, but now back to 500 with a record of 27 wins, 27 losses. They are 12 games back from the admittedly unstoppable New York Yankees. However, the Red Sox do have the third wild card position. So if the playoffs were today, Red Sox would be in. Quick disclaimer for any first-time listeners, this is not a Homer podcast. We call it how we see it. When the Red Sox are dominating, we will celebrate that. When they are getting destroyed, we will be critical and at times savagely blunt. If you are easily offended, press the stop button immediately. But for those who embrace it, Let's get rolling. I am Terry Cushman coming to you from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, by way of Wyndham, Maine. You can find me on Twitter at CushmanMLB. You can find the podcast account at Bastards underscore Boston. Joining me tonight from the city of Providence, Rhode Island, Charlie Smith. I'm back. I'm feeling much better than I did before. Every day is is a better day. Although I will admit, today I told my boss today's Tuesday, and I don't know why you're wearing white pants. And I was informed today's actually Sunday, and I said, <laughs> "Really?" So I guess this like they, they, there's this like post COVID um, b- brain fog. I think is the terminology they used. So I have that right now. So I'm forgetting what days of the week it is. Other than that, I feel great. Still know how to drive. That's a good thing. I've done that in the past, wore the wrong uh, uniform to work, the wrong polo or whatever, and uh, yep. looks no, like an idiot. I thought idiot. today was Tuesday. <laughs> I thought today was Tuesday. Oh, there we go. Right. Also joining us tonight from the nation's capital by way of Newport, Rhode Island, Job Goddard. How we doing, gentlemen? Great, great day for a sweep. Am I right? And oh, yeah. uh, it feels good to be back in the playoff hunt. So uh, I want everyone to slow down their roll. Uh, we're not we're not hunting the Yankees yet. A lot of teams in front of us, a lot of ground to go. You know, it feels good to be back to 500. I mean, we've gotten close in the last couple of weeks. And before this series, we got within two games and then had a bit of a skid and slid back a game or two. And we were able to win all three games, and uh, including – I I didn't think today's was the best pitching matchup, but all went well. And 
hopefully we're going to talk about the angels coming up, but they lost 11 straight as of today. So (laughs) hopefully we're not their get right series. And we uh, can at least, we lost that series last time. So hopefully we can at least either win it or split it. And then we got the Mariners after that, but we're looking pretty good until that Toronto series at the end of the month. Couldn't agree more, Terry. It 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 feels good to uh, be playing baseball on the West Coast. Very important games coming up. So let's let's try to take two of three from LA here, and um, then we can be feeling really good when we were five one and one in our last seven series. So yeah, so far yeah. so good. Yeah, agreed. I, uh, I I'm really hoping that we've we've kind of turned the page. I know that for a little while it was looking pretty grim, and things were not looking pretty. And it just feels like we've, you know, collectively the team has been able to make the changes that were necessary. And, you know, you got players that are starting to, to do some major work that was, you know, some pleasant surprises, you know, like you're seeing, um, you're seeing a, a couple of players that just were not really there and now are starting to get stuff done. So it's pretty nice. Yeah, seven, well, six through nine are in the order really starting Absolutely. to you know, contribute. So before we get into it, we're going to go uh, through the series here. I just want to say I'm a little bit jealous of Phillies fans. And the reason for that is Dave Dombrowski, our former GM, fired Joe Girardi two months into the season. And the reason why I'm jealous is why couldn't he do that with John Farrell in 2017 when we were having some major controversies, the clubhouse was completely dysfunctional and we knew it wasn't going to end well. It just wasn't going to end well. Farrell, just one of the worst managers of my lifetime, despite the 2013 World Series. I think that team kind of managed itself with all the veterans that were on it. And uh, I'm just I'm so jealous. And I think they've rattled off what three straight since the firing. Yeah, they're three and zero, and in fact, they scored twenty six runs since the firing. And three and zero, they scored twenty six runs in the seven games preceding that under Girardi. That's crazy. I always thought Girardi was a good manager, like a smart manager, doesn't make a ton of mistakes. Um, but well, reports are Terry that he's a hard ass manager. Similar to like a Terry Francona, um, takes no shit. And uh, pardon my French there for for a listening audience. I promise I will keep this wearing to a minimum. If you are a hard ass and your team is losing and full of veterans, it no longer works. And the clubhouse gets sick of you really fast. If you're winning, it takes care of itself. Yeah, I don't know if I love that comparison. I, I I've always felt that Francona was more of a players manager, and you know, say what you want about 2011, but I, I just the players always played for him. And um, 2010, we kind of fell behind early, but came back. 2011, we fell way behind, and then we were the best team in baseball up until September, and um, you know, and then the collapse happened, but. And then that 2016 run with basically no starting rotation outside of Kluber and 
not a sexy lineup got to got to game seven in extra innings. Um, so, but I still I still like Girardi, but I I can see why it just didn't work. He just like you said, he's a hothead and. It was his third straight non-competitive year, and I, I think Dombrowski is actually on the hot seat right now with all those moves he made. Like he could get fired at the end of the year too if if they miss the playoffs. It'd be interesting if that happens. I'm curious to see how many other managers end up getting the uh, the good old boot this year. It's going to be very very interesting. I don't think Dombrowski's on the hot seat. I know we don't we're not a Philly show. We don't want to go down the rabbit hole. <laughs> but the reason being is the New York Mets are playing out of their mind under Brett, uh, under Buck Showalter. That's bar, and uh, the rest of the NL East just isn't there yet. Well, I think he just at a minimum needs to win a a wild card. Um, I you know they, just so much money got spent this winter, and then to have it fail again. This has to be one of the highest Phillies payrolls of all time. You know when you look at Schwarber. Castellanos. I think uh, it's Harper. up there with 2009, which is the year they lost to the Yankees after winning in 08. Yeah. I mean, they have the fourth highest this year because, you know, the the, the Dodgers are up there. They're got to be one. Mets, I think, are two. Yankees, three. Phillies should be fourth. I don't think there's anybody else above them because Boston's not above them. Boston's below them. Um, I, I'd have to look at it, but I know it should it, – Dodgers, Mets, Yankees – and I think Phillies are fourth. Okay. I thought the Mets would be number one, especially where Bowers uh money is off the books for the year, but No, the Dodgers have spent almost three hundred million. The 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 Mets when I last checked at the beginning of the year, they were like two fifty five or two sixty, something like that. Well tr- and the Dodgers are close true. to two ninety. Yeah, they are big big contracts. Big contracts. I think the last time I checked, they might not have signed Freddie Freeman, and that, that's probably the difference, actually. That's possible. Yeah, because yeah, that was Absolutely. a big contract. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, let's. Uh, we are Red Sox show, as Job was alluding to. So uh, let's get into some Red Sox talk. Uh, we're gonna go through the games here. Game one, uh, we won that one seven to two in Oakland on Friday. So, Job, who was the top gun for for that game? No, I like the title Top Gun. (laughs) I actually went and saw Top Gun 2 this past weekend movie. Go see it in theaters if you get the chance. Top Gun for this one, I'm going to go with Trevor Story. And uh, I know a lot of guys were on fire in that game. We obviously scored seven runs. Trevor Story went two for three, three total bases, a double, two RBIs, two walks, one intentional, no struts, one stolen base. A little bit of everything from Trevor Story, no home run, but he was putting the ball in play, drove in a couple of runs. I felt like his double was huge. The time in the game that that double came, the game could have swung either way and uh, really put us in the driver's seat. Charlie, thoughts on Trevor Story? Oh my God. Like, I'm so happy. Like Trevor story is finally woken up. Like it's like that scene, release the dogs. Yeah. Like dude, he can do no wrong right now. I mean, after the month of May that he had, and it was really just that, that coming out party because after May 19th, he had, I, I think it was like seven home runs. 
because he had the three homer game. He had another homer in that series and then another one to finish out the series. He had a couple against Chicago. The guy just went off and he started off the month of June absolutely on fire again. He's hitting, I mean, before today, he was hitting 450 with, a, a, you know, three RBIs, a stolen base. He got another one, uh, you know, like another one the first game of the series. I, you can't say anything bad about Trevor Story now. The guy is absolutely trucking. I, I feel like I, I need to add this, Terry, before you give your thoughts on Trevor Story. As a clarification point, when I say the game was in the balance, yes, we had a 2 nothing lead. We had two guys on with one out. It's the sixth inning. The way this bullpen has been performing, the two-run lead kind of felt a little bit April-ish where we were going to get close a close game, get into the bullpen, and somebody was going to blow it. Trevor Story put up two more runs, and then from there, the Red Sox offense just never let Oakland get back in the game. So I just wanted to clarify that that's why he's the star performer, not because he was the best offensive player on the team for that game. Yeah, Xander drove in just uh, one more run than Story, but I, I like the sentiment. There actually were two outs uh, during that at-bat uh, uh, by Trevor Story. Um, three balls, two strikes, two outs, and we were up two to nothing. And then uh, he hit a uh, kind of a line drive right over Chad Pinder's head. It bounced off the wall. Pinder kind of uh, misplayed it. I think two runs easily would have scored there, especially with two outs. They were already running. But, um, but yeah, that was definitely a, a key at bat, and it, it sort of put the game out of reach. Uh, before that, uh, going back to the fourth inning, Xander was the one who put the Red Sox on the board with a home run over the left field wall. Uh, Franchi Cordero, same inning, uh, hit a double to drive in. Alex Verdugo, and then uh, late in the game, uh, Rafi Devers had a had a double, basically right up the left center gap. That was a theme for the whole series. Tons of Red Sox hitters were finding gaps, and then uh, Xander um, uh, later on in the ninth uh, also had a had a double, uh, which drove in Devers. So a lot of uh, a lot of offense. Red Sox put up. Uh, seven runs uh, in that game. Everyone had a hit except for uh, Ploiecki and Dahlbeck. Shocker. Dahlbeck did draw two walks, but Charlie. I think what, what you, uh, you know, we should be highlighting here is um, even though J.D. Martinez didn't go, you know, four for four, three for four, four for five and do his thing, you're noticing that the team collectively is playing a lot more small ball. You don't have everyone gunning for the fences right now. We had four doubles in that game and one home run. Half of your hits were extra bases. That's pretty sweet. I'll take that every day that ends a Y. And you have the, you know, Xander Bogarts who had a home run, but Cordero who, who's been doing great as of late too. They're just trying to find gaps. You had three guys on your team with multiple hits. That's pretty impressive. Six guys on your team scored runs. That's pretty impressive. Only one guy struck out more than once. That's pretty impressive. Because we've seen recurring themes here. Players aren't getting on base. We're striking out. We're not drawing walks. We actually walked more than we struck out in that game. So we're doing everything possible to get on base, try to do what we can for our next teammate up. Move us over, drive us over two bases, knock us in, whatever you need to do. You don't need to hit a home run every single time. And I think finally they're waking up in that sense. Because when we won this game, we're still two games under five hundred. I was screaming uh, all of April to to not 
just be sitting on balls, you know, and being an all or nothing team, home runs or strikeouts, because that's what it kind of seemed like. And what they've been doing is exactly, again, what I was screaming for. Just put the ball in play. Just put it in play. String together some hits and the runs will come. And that's exactly uh, what we're seeing right now. I'm pulling up the uh, the team stats right now. So Red Sox and doubles lead the league, and it's not even close. 134 doubles on the season. Next closest team is the Atlanta Braves at 108. So nearly 30. Uh, runs driven in, we're actually fifth. But still, you know, you're, you're happy to be a top five team in that regard. Uh, let's see. Runs scored fifth again. Batting average. Red Sox are second, only behind the Mets. It's a wonder where. We're a, we're a fourth place team with all this good hitting and good starting pitching. It just shows you. It's all you. coming May, yeah. May and June. We we got none of this in in April, and that's why we're a 500 team. Yeah, surprisingly, we're uh, ranked tenth uh, in MLB as far as um, on base. But let's just see where we're at with home runs. Wow, 18th. But like what Charlie says, we'll take it. Put the ball in play. I'd rather lead the league in doubles than home runs. So every time. And if this is the mindset, then we're going to climb back into this thing. The division might be out of reach, but we're, we could comfortably cruise into a wild card spot. All right, Charlie top uh, pitching uh, arm for the game. Who are you going with? I don't, Oh God, this is way too easy. Uh, <laughs> when you was. have Nate Evaldi, when you have Evaldi on the hill, four hits, six innings, you strike out eight, no runs allowed, just one walk, incredibly efficient, sixty-seven percent strikes. It's sixty-two strikes, thirty-one balls. You are doing your job. You are setting your team up for success. What does that mean? You're up four-zero after six innings. I really want to believe that our team can support a four-run lead. You kind of need four. Three, a little bit nerve-wracking. But four, come on, guys. We can do this. Eighth inning against our former player, Jed Lowry. Knocked in two. We're now only up two runs in the ninth inning. We're not sure who's going to support us and whatnot. But goodness gracious, Nate Evaldi. Quality start, six innings, eight Ks. I'll take that. Every day that ends in Y and twice whatever day he pitched. So quality, I'll take it. I mean, there's no question. Had to be Nate Aldi. My favorite part about this start from Nate Aldi, uh, Charlie, you alluded to it. First pitch strikes. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think it was the first nine batters of the game. He had a first pitch strike, and a lot of those balls. I mean, Charlie, what was the number? Thirty-seven balls. You said. I think. No, he had he had 62 strikes and 31 balls. It was literally a two 31. to one split. Okay, so yeah. 31 balls. I think four or five of those, and if I'm remembering correctly, it, it was they were early in the game, were intentional. He was throwing them in the dirt because he was up 0-2, and he was fishing for a strikeout. That happened a couple of times. Once to Jed Lowry, um, that I, that I can recall. I think that was the fourth inning. Um, he was better in this game, I think, than he has been for his last couple because he was more efficient. Even though he didn't go eight, he didn't strike out nine or ten, uh, which he can do. He was just more efficient with his pitches. 
he didn't really give up a ton of hits, just four uh, on the game. He gave up a double uh, to Jed Lowry, of all people. <laughs> 38-year-old Jed Lowry still playing, uh, you know, as injury-prone as he's been. But that happened in the first inning, and then innings two and three, it was three up, three down. Uh, fourth inning, I think, let's see, he, uh, well, he, yeah, he allowed two singles in that inning, one to Loriano, who, uh, whose nickname Razor Ramon, cool nickname, but dude did steroids. So it's not that cool. Seth Brown also hit a single, uh, in the fourth inning and Evaldi was just kind of quietly in control the whole game. And, um, a couple of times out, he, uh, you know, he, Gave up what six or seven home runs, something uh, ungodly, and got his ERA down to three point four one. So kind of, you know, back in form. He'll be pitching uh, against the Angels here. He might have. Let's see. He might have the Otani game. We'll get into the matchups later. I could be wrong on that, but um, just a, a great outing from a guy who. I never thought would be a number two pitcher when we signed him to that extension. So, um, not, not a bad, uh, outing for Nate, uh, bullpen, uh, not a lot to write home about, uh, after Danish was my stud <laughs> in the last series, uh, gave up a run. Matt Strom still doesn't look sharp. Only lasted one third of an inning, gave up one hit, uh, an earned run and a walk. So struggling there. Um, Schreiber was okay. And Brazier actually looked pretty good to, um, to, to finish that game off. Not that it was a high pressure situation being up seven to two, but um, Brazier again uh, closed it out. So seven to two Red Sox. Let's go over to game two. Red Sox won that one. Eight to nothing, Job, who was the top gun that game? Again, I'm going to use a top gun that a lot of people aren't going to think of in this one, or maybe they will because Xander Bogarts is the best player on the team right now. Xander Bogarts, two for three, two runs scored, one walk, zero left on base, no strikeouts. I almost I almost went a different direction, Terry, and I know you're going to talk about it in a minute. Um, what I want to highlight from Xander was – the two runs scored um, when Rafi wasn't having a good day. J.D. Martinez went one for five. Those aren't J.D. days. Those are not J.D. numbers. Um, and usually if J.D. Martinez goes one for five, you're not going to score a lot of runs. You're probably not going to have a lot of runners in scoring position. Xander Bogarts was putting runners in scoring position. He was, for lack of a better term, setting the table for those guys below him. And uh, it helps when they help you cash it in. I feel like early in the season, every time Xander would do that, we'd get to six through nine and nobody could bring them home. And it was automatic out for the bottom third of the lineup. Thank God that wasn't the case in game two. But Xander's my stud, two for three. Making it too easy. Uh, Xander did fantastic in that game. Um it's the second straight game where we've done major work. I actually thought you were going to go for Dugo here. And that's, I think the only other player that you might've maybe talked about, uh, over, over, uh, Xander. 
Um, and, and the only reason for that is an extra hit in there. Um, Xander did score twice. Dugo didn't strike out either. And I'm just happy that he's kind of starting to turn it around because we've seen a little bit of the struggle bus from him as of late, unfortunately. Um, and I'm just praying that this is a, a turning of the tide for Doogie because uh, you, you do want to see him succeed. Xander's going to continue being consistent. You're going to see singles and doubles out of him. And again, that's okay. Why did I like this game so much? Again, you had a boatload of hits. You had eight runs on four, uh, eight runs on 14 hits. You had five doubles again. Like you're seeing such consistency with doubles. And I will take that every day. I don't care if we don't lead in home runs. If you lead in doubles, you're going to win games. We're now one game under 500 after the second game. I was happy to take two out of three without foreshadowing. True enough. Uh, I'll highlight Doogie's line here just because you mentioned it and explain kind of why he wasn't my big go-to top gun here. He went three for five, scored a run, two RBIs, no strikeouts. There's one number that kind of led to me picking Xander over Verdugo, even though I feel like Verdugo maybe had the more impactful hits. Uh, that number's four, and uh, it describes numbers of runners left on base. He left four guys on base, the two at-bats where he didn't get a hit. I understand uh, he'd already cashed in earlier in the game, but uh, we can't let that happen from Verdugo. If we're going to leave runners stranded out there, it's going to hurt us. Four runners stranded is, is far too many for one player. Well, Verdugo did drive in Xander Bogarts in the uh, fourth inning. That twice put, put the Red Sox. Uh, I'm showing he he drove he drove him to third base uh, on the uh, second at bat. JD scored. You're right. JD scored. Yeah. My apologies. Yeah. So I mean, Xander was on base and uh, scored a couple of runs. So. Um, Red Sox got on the board first with a Christian Vasquez uh, double, drove in Trevor Story. That put the Red Sox up uh, one nothing. Later on that inning, uh, Rafi Devers hit a uh, line drive up the center field gap, and uh, that scored Vasquez and Cordero. So Red Sox ahead 3 nothing there. And then uh, Alex Verdugo, like we were just talking about, uh, hit a line drive to to right field, kind of got around the shift. Xander Bogart scored on that four nothing Red Sox, and then uh, that was it for the scoring until the eighth inning, and then it was uh, Verdugo again uh, driving in uh, JD Martinez. Trevor Story really put the game uh, out of reach with uh, with a double. And uh, that scored uh, Xander Bogarts uh, again. So, and then uh, Franchi made his mark in the eighth uh, inning. Eighth inning was uh, was a big one, and um, uh, hit a single uh, to uh, Christian Pache, and then uh, that drove in Doogie and Trevor Story. So, Big night for the Red Sox, um, you know, an eight-run lead. I jokingly said that uh, the number of Red Sox runs matched the gas prices in Oakland because it's $8 a gallon <laughs> in Oakland. Eight runs for the Red Sox, $8 a gallon. So uh, that's the most California box score ever, I'm guessing. Uh, Charlie, uh, 
Do you want to say something real quick, Joe? Yeah, I, I just wanted to ask Terry when you're getting your Christian Vasquez tattoo. Christian uh, your, Vasquez? Your number seven for your apology tour I, that you owe Christian Vasquez for all the trade Christian Vasquez uh, lines that you've dropped this well, year. Christian I'm, Vasquez is on fire. Well, he was one for eight in the series. I mean, I don't think that was lighting it on fire. Let's check the last series. 0 for 4. That was the two-gamer in Cincinnati. How did he do in the Orioles series? Oh, 7 for 15. So he had a big Orioles series, but um, he is hitting better. I mean, we were talking about the bottom uh, of the order. If I do have to get He's a tattoo. 282. Okay. Yeah, that is uh, that is getting up there, isn't it? Um, if I do have to get a tattoo, it's going to be on the bottom of my foot or my ass. That way, you know, no one will know I have it. Except for, uh, well, I guess us. <laughs> <laughs> no, you guys never see me naked. Uh, anyway, uh, awkwardness. So, Charlie, we had uh, a very, very, we had a great pitching performance uh, in game two. Who is that? You know, this was, again, too easy. I have the easiest job. It's like being the weatherman in Los Angeles. If you mess this up, you should be fired on the spot. Nick Pavetta, done deal. Seven innings, four base runners allowed, two hits, two walks, seven strikeouts, 63% strikeout rate. Easy enough. Math is pretty straightforward. 63 strikes, 100 pitches. He's done it, folks. He's got five wins. More than Michael Waka. It brings up... a. a you know, a, a question that was posed on totally legit. Are we calling the cops? Nick Pavetta and Nate Evaldi will form that, that fantastic one, two punch that the Red Sox can rely on to get them through this. And I said, it was totally legit. And I think I was the only one. I don't remember if Terry said it, but I'm pretty sure Joe called the cops on it. Correct me if I'm I wrong. I did. I did call the cops. I love this 13 innings. No runs allowed, a couple of hits, a boatload of strikeouts, a pair of wins. I will take this every day. This is fantastic. And granted, Oakland is not the best team in baseball. They're now 15 games under 500 at this point. The Red Sox are, are sniffing 500. But this is huge because your starters being able to go longer into games, six innings, seven innings, means we don't have to see the bullpen as much. And the benefit of that is that you're resting them. They're going to be able to work out the kinks and work out the issues that need to be fixed. This is perfect. This is beautiful. I love this. But Pavetta, easiest answer for that question right there. Hard not to love Pavetta. Um, went into the seventh inning, still with great command of all his pitches, still attacking hitters. I thought it was ambitious to send him back out there for that last inning. Um, that's why you have a guy ready in the bullpen in case he gets in trouble. And he just never gave Cora the opportunity to go get that guy was absolutely lights out dominant. That's what we need from Nick Pavetta. If we're going to get our way back into a, a tight race here. And I know we talked a little bit about the division baby being out of reach. There are currently three ALS AL East teams in the in the playoffs, maybe even four actually, four AL East teams in in the playoff picture at the moment, and uh, Nick Pavetta is going to be the guy to bring us bring us home, Charlie, if he can pitch like this. Yeah. So the other thing was uh, when Pavetta came out, and we ended up having Super Tanner Houck come in. Tanner Houck has allowed zero runs 
in his last eight innings of pitching. Um, excuse me, 12 innings of pitching. And if you want to include that appearance before that, one run in his last 15, and that was by way of a solo home run. He's been able to bring his ERA down from 5.7, including that, down to 3.72. So he has very quickly become one of the most reliable arms in the bullpen, and he's getting stuff done. He's had a win and a hold in that time. Um, I feel comfortable with him doing two innings, three innings of work. If he ends up being a guy that ends up getting put back into that you know, starting rotation where Whitlock ends up coming out. Um, I'm warm to that feeling. I can be okay with that. Uh, as long as we get Whitlock back in the bullpen, I'm cool. But fantastic job with the bullpen in game two as well. Yeah, I mean, Nick Pavetta is just kind of an enigma. He's never, I don't know what his ERA was to end last season. I think it was in the fours. Um, but he's never been a consistent guy and you just kind of wait for him to lose his mechanics and then go through a rut again. Like, like we've seen some other pitchers do it, but that dude is just, he's commanding. He's not giving up a ton of hits. He's going deep into games. I know Avoldi had a complete game, uh, you know, performance and, uh, Pavetta did, um, a start or two before that, but, I just, who saw this coming? He's he's just been absolutely phenomenal. I mean, he's pitching to the level of a number two right now. And you're just hoping for a number four type production out of him. And he's given you so much more than that. Well, the consistency is what he's been giving you, right? I mean, this top of the line, uh, top of the rotation stuff that he's been showing the last two, three outings is awesome and to get seven innings out of a starter these days is fantastic especially when your bullpen has not been great um to say the least i don't know where we rank in bullpen era i imagine it's bottom 10 um what i do know is if he can carry the torch from Avaldi and pass it on to the next guy the way he's done the last couple of times through we're gonna have a good chance to win more games and charlie i i know he's the first of five wins but if he passes it to michael walker michael walker goes out and gets a win then it's then it's a winning streak, and you can thank Michael Walker for making that happen. Just another thing to add here, because uh, I'm trying to find comps to to compare him, and Rick Porcello was a notorious innings eater. You wouldn't necessarily get good quality starts from him, but he would eat innings, and Pavetta's giving you quantity and quality over a guy like Porcello. So, I mean, if the playoffs start tomorrow, probably what? Evaldi's your number one, Pavetta's your number two starter? It's just unbelievable. It really is unbelievable. One thing to note, Nick Pavetta last season was really good his first two times seeing a team. The third and fourth time he saw a team, he started to get hit pretty hard and it brought his ERA up significantly. I'm thinking specifically he had three starts in a row or it might've been three of four starts in late July, early August that were against the Blue Jays. Obviously a great lineup last season. 
the second time he faced the Blue Jays, I think it was he faced the Blue Jays like five times last year. First and second time he was great. After that, they really seemed to pick up his his curveball and, and get his number to hit him hard. Um, which makes me a little bit nervous as we we get into facing some of these division opponents down the stretch, and that's why I don't know that I would name Nick Pavetta the two. Um, but as of now, he's definitely pitching like it, and we gotta we gotta win those games. If your starter gives you seven innings, you gotta win the game. I, I would make him number two for this reason: he was a stud last October, so you, you know he can you know he can do it. And if he's pitching pretty well, then that that's enough to justify it for me. Uh, Job, you were wondering where the Red Sox bullpen ranked amongst the league. Surprisingly, they're actually fifteenth right now. Uh, with a three, we love that middle of the pack. Three eighty nine uh, ERA collectively. Um, some of the real bad ones: uh, the Rockies, the Reds, the Royals. I'm looking for a competitive team in here. Well, the Giants are twenty fifth with a four forty seven. Uh, Angels are twenty fourth, but perhaps the last eleven games might have. Uh, Something to say about that. Yeah. And I would imagine the last 11 games, they probably haven't pitched Iglesias all that much. True. If and they're he's, behind. Their, he's their stud. Yeah. Um, their star closer that we're going to have to probably face in this series if it's a close, close series. We might even have to face him anyway because I would assume he needs work okay. after losing 11 straight. Yeah, true. Yeah, I'm sure he's had a couple of games even in that 11, but... Um, all right. So uh, Charlie already kind of touched on Hauk. Um, I have a Hauk take. I'm going to have to save it, unfortunately. But um, he came into the game. It was a four-run lead, and then we had that uh, four-run eighth inning, so they didn't end up uh, pitching him for the ninth. I'm, I'm sure that was the plan. But um, once we put all those extra runs up, Sawamura came out and uh, looked pretty good. You know, not really a, a high-pressure situation, but... Uh, you know, pitched the final inning, got a strikeout, didn't give up a hit or a walk. So, um, so that's uh, yeah, good. Uh, the best game of the series by far was game two. Uh, let's go ahead. Uh, game three, Red Sox win that one, five to two. Job, your top. Well, gun. again, I'm I'm gonna take a top gun that might not be the top of a lot of people's minds because it wasn't the signature moment from this game but it was the best batting line and overall the best player. Uh, I think the best player probably on the field uh, for this series. Rafi Devers, uh, he went two for three, two runs scored, two RBIs, one walk. He's now hitting 341 on the season on his quest for a massive contract uh, whenever he gets there. I want to point out two things about why this effort was so big for Rafi. One, I know his home run in the eighth inning came when the game was already a little bit out of reach, probably. I thought we needed it. I thought it was big. But I thought it was big. I I just felt like that really shut the door and and solidified the win. I'm still not confident in this bullpen. The other reason is because the guys in front of him, Jaron Duran, one for four, three strikeouts. Kike Hernandez, one for four. No strikeouts, but one for four. So Rafi really didn't have, and obviously at the bottom of the lineup, Dahlbeck hitting ninth. Rafi didn't have any guys on base in front of him. And he made it happen anyway uh, and scored two runs. 
even though some of the guys behind him couldn't cash in. Verdugo, two men left on base. Story, five men left on base. It, it, it's tough to, to score runs in the in Major League Baseball. We know this, especially against good pitching. I think Montes is good pitching. But uh, Rafi made him pay for the mistakes. And that's what you need from your stars. Yeah, I mean, Devers was fantastic. I mean, he got the, the scoring started he had an rbi single which you know as you mentioned duran didn't really do that much but he did knock him in did move uh kike over to second base that got it uh the, the scoring started like i mentioned oakland came right back erased that run and again there's there's seldomly a time where i would mention somebody over rafael devers because everybody knows my affinity my love for for Raf. um i think he's the best this is the guy i want long term in boston I'm going to be really upset if he doesn't stay long-term because that's a missed opportunity the great, of the grandest proportion. Um, and uh, the only other person that you could mention was was Cordero. And Cordero had a three-run rocket uh, to left, which blew the game open. And then Devers, like you mentioned, put us back up to four runs on top. Four runs well, is a comfortable lead. Four runs is a comfortable lead that we need with our bullpen. Two runs, not good enough. You're absolutely right, and... I- I know Terry has some thoughts on the rest of the lineup, so I'll let him get to those. But that is that is the reason I went with Rafi Devers. He's yeah. the most impactful player. Absolutely agree. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to disagree on who the player is, but I'm not going to trash Devers by any means. I mean, like I said, I, I thought it was a big a big extra run that he got to make it. Uh, instead of 4-2, to two, it became 5-2, to two, or I think it was 5-2. to. Was it five to two or five to one? Five to one at the time. Yeah. Five to one at the time. And um, just absolutely huge. It was down the left field line. He went oppo for it. I think his earlier hit uh, in the game was also uh, to left. So from foul pole to foul pole, one of the most deadliest hitters in major league baseball right now. This is going to be an interesting MVP race. I know Judge is just absolutely lighting it up in New York right now. So we'll see if, if Devers can get in there and make a case. But here's... He's top five right now. I think he finished fourth in the most recent poll. He's he's climbing. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, 341 average, 371 OBP. His uh, OPS is uh, 977, which is about 250 points above league average. So... Um, But when you're looking at the Rafi versus Devers debate, you know, as we get into free agency, Rafi Devers, 77 hits, Xander Bogarts, uh, only 64. Rafi Devers, 22 doubles, Xander Bogarts, 14. Rafi Devers, 12 home runs, leads the team by far. Trevor Story is the next closest with nine. Um, Xander Bogarts, only six home runs. Um, Devers only five more, uh, runs batted in, believe it or not, Devers has two less strikeouts than Xander Bogarts. Devers has struck out 44 times. Um, Xander Bogarts, 46. That's a shocker. Rafi Devers is the better of the two players. And, um, by all, you know, viewpoints uh, up until now seems to be, the higher priority uh, for Hein Bloom, so um, he he's driving that price up. I mean, we might be looking at three fifty next winter minimum. 
Job? Two, two things I want to mention about Rafi Devers. One, because you talked about contract, I think the Jordan Alvarez contract is extremely interesting uh, for Houston. He's going to make $26 million a year at the end of that contract. I think that's what Heim Bloom was hoping would happen and that Rafi would be a DH and be paid like a DH and not a third baseman. Instead, Rafi's developing into a great third baseman and he's going to make $32 million a year uh, in the latter years of his deal, wherever he goes, whenever he goes. And um, it's going to be a shame if it's not in Boston. That being said, I think there's two things about Rafi that make him electric. One is he's such a fun player to watch play the game. The other is, I feel like every time I watch him play, I feel like there's another level that he just hasn't gotten to yet that he's very capable of. You mentioned strikeouts and how he has less strikeouts than Xander Bogarts. I feel like once a series, there's a strikeout for Rafi where I'm like, oh, he was trying to hit that ball to the moon, and if he just shortened up just a little bit, that's a double. And once he makes that adjustment and grows into that hitter, not only will he lead the team in doubles and potentially the league in doubles, I think he's a perennial MVP top five. Actually, um, now that you mention it, Job, Rafi Devers is the MLB leader in doubles with 22. Number two, J.D. Martinez, 18 doubles. Number three in the American League, Enrique Hernandez, 16. Red Sox are just killing it. Yeah, and then uh, there's... uh, Several way tie here. It looks like a six way tie um, with a bunch of players that have 14 doubles and two out of those six are Xander Bogarts and Jackie Bradley. So um, just just absolutely insane. And just for clarification, uh, there was a report that Devers, his contract offer started with a two. So that was 200 or more. Um, which I don't think was lowballed, but I, I mean, none of us are going to blame him for not taking it. Uh, you know, it's looking low ball every time he plays uh, every day that he plays, it looks a little lower and, uh, he looks a lot smarter for not taking a deal similar to what Aaron judge is looking at now. Uh, the Aaron judge contract extension that the Yankees offered him reportedly, um, Brian Cashman went to the, the writers and said, Hey, here's what we offered. Uh, I think it was six two seventy. Something like that? No, or it was... 270, rather? It was... Um, it was 7-2-10, but then you had to add okay. in the arbitration uh, for this year. Sure. So it was just over so, 230, I think. So 7-2-30, and he turned it down, and now he's having the best season of his career to date. Rafi basically doing the same thing. Yeah. And his number is going up every single day. Uh Heim Bloom is not going to pay him, and it's going to suck. But he should because Rafi leads the league. You mentioned in doubles. He also leads the league in hits, as you mentioned. And uh, it's not particularly close to the rest of the team. The next best on the team is Xander Bogarts at 64 hits. Rafi has 77 hits. That's that's not particularly close. And he's in first by a half a dozen. Right. Yeah, I mean, 300 probably would have been what got it done this year. Now I think you're looking at 350, 360, especially where it's only his age 25 or 26 season. I think he turns 26 at some point uh, this year. So 
Um, Bloom botched that one. Botched it big time. Should have signed it a year ago. He would have got his price for for 200 or something, but they, he never even had a conversation with, with, uh, Devers. So, uh, Charlie, uh, let's just cover the pitching real quick. I mean, I might have the easiest job tonight. Like I'm <laughs> yeah. not joking. This is easier than being the weatherman of LA. Uh, while your bullpen was great and I don't want to down, uh, Job's number one guy in the pen. Uh, I got to give it to Rich Hill here. Uh, this was Hill's ne- Hill's day. He gave us six innings again. That's three straight quality starts. One run on three hits, five strikeouts. 56 of 78 pitches were all strikes. 72% better than Nate Avaldi's 67%. He was locked on no walks. Flawless job. I, I'm going to say flawless because one run on three hits, I'm okay with that. If you can do that, six innings, I'll let you allow one run on three hits every time. And this was a, a big game, a big win for Rich Hill. He doubled his win total. He had one win coming into this season, or coming into this game, and he got it done. Uh, his last couple starts have been abysmal. He got rocked against Baltimore, did not do that well against Chicago, did very poor against Seattle, not really pretty against Texas. His last really good start was against Los Angeles, and that was May 5th. It was a month ago. So... Really, really important game for Rich Hill to to come out and, and do the work that he's doing because it did not look pretty. And I'm very, very thankful that he did what he did because taking three in Oakland, incredibly necessary. As I've been saying, we're down two games. We're just down one. We're back to 500, folks. We're playing 500 baseball. This is the turnaround right now. And the only series that I'm kind of like, Ugh, this is going to stink, is when we go to Toronto. Because right now, I'm feeling pretty darn good. It's hard not to feel good about what you got from Rich Hill today. The last show that three of us were on, we talked about how the Rich Hill we'd seen the last two starts was the Rich Hill we'd expected when we signed him. And that he'd actually been better than expectations for the start of the season. This Rich Hill, I mean, they turned, he turned back the clock like five years. This is the first stint with the Red Sox. Rich Hill, uh, maybe even before that, attacking hitters. I saw a couple of curveballs up in the zone late in that game. 72 miles an hour up in the zone curveballs, but he was dropping him in the only spot that the hitter couldn't get to all game. Uh, Pinpoint control, and he was doing what I like to describe as pitching, not throwing, but pitching. And uh, I actually think that there's a career for Rich Hill as a pitching coach when all's said and done if he ever retires from baseball. I mean, he's older than some pitching coaches in the game anyway. Literally, I'm not exaggerating. I I think Dave Bush is either a year younger or a year older than him. I I forget. I think it's a year younger. I I believe he is is older than Dave Bush. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's crazy to think. It is. So um, I said in in the preview for this series in the last episode, or two episodes ago, rather, that this could be a good get right game for Rich Hill because it's, it's a very favorable ballpark. You you don't have to worry about the ball flying out, even if they're juiced. Uh, There's tons of foul ground territory. It it was just a good get right situation. I think all three of us still picked the A's to win this game. I think it was the only game uh, we picked, 
because we just thought Montas was going to be so stout. But um, but of of the three hits Rich Hill gave up, two of those were in the first inning. Uh, you know, he had some traffic on the bases. Uh, in fact, one run uh, did end up scoring. Uh, Ramon Laureano drove in Chad Pinder. Uh, both of those players hit doubles. But after that, in the in the second inning, it was three up, three down. Third inning, three up, three down. Fourth inning, three up, three down. Fifth inning, three up, three down. You noticing a pattern here? Sixth inning, three up, three down. The dude was just a machine. Alex Cora brings him out for the seventh. Why not? Pitch count was low. Gives the leadoff uh, double to Jed Lowry, and then that was the hook. Um, but it was a very solid outing for, for Rich Hill, who, um, many of us said, you know, was the most vulnerable guy in this Red Sox rotation as you're starting to get Chris Sale and James Paxton back. So, um, just, uh, just a great outing and it was a great sweep because I thought, well, with Hill on the mound, we're going to lose the game and we're not going to reach 500, but go ahead, Charlie. Yeah, I mean, it's incredibly difficult to to knock him up three up, three down twice. Yeah. <laughs> when you do it five times in a row, you're on it. Right. 16 straight up and down. That's it. You give up a run on two hits in the first inning. You did nothing until that last batter. That's, that's it. That's the other piece. That's right, incredible. Charlie? That's incredible. It wasn't like his defense was bailing him out, which we saw from Whitlock in the last series a little bit, where... Guy gets on first, double play, like three straight innings of double play uh, induced by Garrett Whitlock, which is awesome. And Story and Xander really picking up their pitcher there. It wasn't that today. It was, you can't hit me. My 84-mile-an-hour fastball is too fast for you. And my 72-mile-an-hour curveball and my 74-mile-an-hour changeup are just right where you can't hit them. Everybody looked fooled all game, and it was awesome. Weak contact left and right. I mean, he the last batter he faced in the sixth inning looked at the first two curveballs. Strike Up one. Up in on the hands. Strike two. And then whiffing on a slider that I don't even think hit 70 miles an hour. Like, he was he was starting to feel it. You could tell. Six it, innings. It clocked in at 71 miles an hour. Oh, it did hit 70. Clock. I don't remember even hit 70. Just incredible. I mean, <laughs> six innings from Rich Hill father time over here it's like the tom brady of major league baseball this guy's old as heck and he's still getting it done it's just remarkable and super impressive and it's a super fun story for the red sox because there aren't there weren't that many great stories coming into the year and now it's starting to feel really good with what we've got so far do you guys know if does rich Hill have kids because i feel like that might be the next like junior senior moment like if rich he has kids he's actually a grandfather Okay, so I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm just kidding. I'm say, it I thought he might be because if there's anybody in the league who's going to be have a chance at this point to have longevity of a career to play with their kid, you think it might be Rich Hill because he might be playing with his grandkids the way that he plays right now. Um, if he can keep doing this all season, the Red Sox are going to win a lot of games. Um, he has uh, just uh, one son. He did have two, but unfortunately, one did pass away. Uh, he just has one son. It doesn't specify as to how old. Um, his son is, but uh, I, I don't believe that he is a father, given that he and his wife got married in 07. Um, so I, I'm sure, you know, 
in 10 years or so, he'll probably be a grandfather. But in 10 years, there's probably a good chance that by then he'll just be a reliever. Well, he, he could pitch till he's 50, possibly. He could do it. It man. wouldn't Absolutely. surprise me. Hey, the Rockets doing it in indie ball. I, I could see Rich Hill doing it. Yeah. Until yep. his arm falls off. Yeah, and he had a, his other son that passed away was an infant. I, I don't know. Right. I can't remember if it was crib death or some type of medical issue. But It I, was it was a medical uh, issue, okay. unfortunately. Well, that's very unfortunate. I didn't mean to bring negative yeah. to the show. God damn it, Joe. I was Job. trying to make a lighthearted play on the fact that he's never aging. Um, what I do know is that there's always the knuckleball. Right, Rich Hills could still he could still fall back on the knuckleball when the he fastball could. stops getting it done. So we might get another five years of Rich Hill. Maybe uh, Pavetta can teach him the knuckle curve that he was throwing so effectively. But the other uh, the other thing that's just utterly hilarious to me, I think we did bring it up on a recent show, but uh, Hill uh, and his wife both got arrested. Uh, at a Patriots game for disorderly conduct. Yeah, that was a couple of years ago. Yeah, and I shouldn't say they both got arrested. It, it might have been just him. Uh, I probably should have looked that up before I mentioned it. But, but yeah, interesting guy. And uh, we've all made mistakes. Yeah. He's, hey, no, he's a Boston guy. I support it. If that's if that's what you want to do at the at the game. Yeah. Uh, that's not my style, but uh, there's plenty of Boston people out there in the bleachers. We we don't know who, all the facts uh, either. I mean, it, 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 there was there was some some kind of miscommunication between the police and well, and think, he and his wife. I think it started out with security actually, and then it escalated. But yeah, well, it, all all the all the the charges were dropped, and that's the important thing. So nothing nothing formed or nothing filed criminally or anything like that. So he's an innocent man. His <laughs> yeah, wife's an innocent lady. Officially, it's all good. It is all good. Officially, we gotta get we gotta get Rich Hill as a guest on this show. He's I would uh, love he's to about your age, Terry. You know. Oh, jeez. Well, yeah. I'm glad he's playing because there's at least one player on the team older than me. <laughs> yeah, right. There you go. I'll be 39 in July. But yeah, and, he, and Rich Hill was born in Milton, Mass. So he is a New England guy that yep. uh, looks like it's a, local. a little south of Boston. I'm, I'm not that familiar with it. but Yeah, M- Milton's not too far away from um, actually where, if I'm not mistaken, I think where um, Jason just bought his house. I believe so. Yeah, it's right down the street. Him and uh, Jason might be neighbors. Nor- Norfolk County is where he was born. I don't know where yep. he lives now, though. Um, somewhere. I'll uh, I'll roll the dice and say it's probably not the same house. <laughs> <laughs> well, you never know. Could be sentimental, but all right. Let's uh, let's just get into the next series here. It's actually a four game set against the uh, Anaheim Angels. All. Four games start at 9.38 p.m., so um, get some caffeine if you plan on uh, sticking these out. Um, fun pitching matchups, at least in the first three games. Uh, the The starting pitching matchups are very competitive uh, on paper, but we got Michael Waka versus Noah Syndergaard in game one. Job, who do you like in that one? I get very nervous facing Syndergaard. I know he's not the guy who was dominant with the Mets, but he makes me nervous. And I think his velocity is still high enough to give the bottom of this lineup fits. I'm going to go with the Angels in game one, and I hate picking against my boy, Michael Walker. That's going to be two. Um, 
Noah Syndergaard in his last and his third to last performance. Um, I'm going to omit the Texas one for just a moment. But in those starts between the Yankees and the Rangers, because he faced him a second time and fixed that problem real quick. Three innings, 11 hits, 11 runs, nine of which were earned, one home run allowed, three walks, one strikeout. He didn't have a single strikeout in his last performance against the Yankees when he got absolutely crushed. And his ERA, excuse me, went up from 2.45 to 4.02. I do not anticipate Noah Syndergaard getting cracked two appearances in a row. I expect him to go six plus, and I think he's going to right the ship. I think that the Angels will break that losing streak and they will win game one. I'm just going to ride the hot hand here. Um, Michael Walker has been pitching well. Syndergaard getting knocked around a little bit. I think this Red Sox lineup can be pesky enough to to string together some hits here uh, to get on the board. Um, M- Mike Trout is in a uh, pretty bad slump, I guess, the worst of his career. He was 0 for 23 coming into Sunday. Taylor Ward on the injured list. So they're pretty dinged up. I'm I, I'm going to ride the momentum of the Red Sox and give them game one. Well, Terry, that would open up a little bit of a gap. We'd have some breathing room going into the rest of this series in the wild card race. For anyone who doesn't know, we just overtook the Anaheim Angels for that last wild card spot. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, game two, uh, Garrett Whitlock versus Reed Detmers, who uh, was having a pretty good season uh, until uh, his last few starts. But, uh, Job, who do you like in that one? Well, Reed Detmers obviously has a no-hitter to his name this year. Came up last season. He pitches to contact. Has a great downward movement on his fastball it's very similar to a sinker but it's it's hard Um, the defense behind him has been good he's been getting some run support up until lately where they haven't scored any runs Garrett Whitlock started to figure it out in his last game getting those dull plays when he needed them most but uh, I get extremely nervous going up against I don't like Whitlock pitching so I'm gonna go with uh, the Angels again in game two this is wild. It's like the the cascading odd effect, but I am curious to know if Whitlock can do it a second time around, and I'm curious to know if the Angels, who have not faced Garrett Whitlock this year, have been able to see some of the changes that Whitlock has done in between the first, second, and third order uh, in the lineup, you know, first time around, second time around, third time around. Garrett Whitlock allowed one run on five hits, which wasn't earned in six innings, but big stats that were missing. No strikeouts. Very, very alarming there. And I'm actually really, really torn in this series because I feel very good about the the you know the next one here. I I I don't know. And I, I think I'm gonna go Whitlock in this one. And it's just because Detmers has been really inconsistent. Yes, he has a no-hitter to his name, but his ERA has not been that great all year long. And Garrett Whitlock, I do have a little bit more faith in. So I'm going to go Whitlock in game two, and the Red Sox will split it. I'm actually going to give the Angels this one. Um, I I don't know. Whitlock just seems like he's really laboring and really grinding. And um, 
we don't always play well out west despite the the first series we've played this year i just think if we're gonna drop one it's it's probably gonna be with whitlock on the mound one thing about whitlock i mentioned it maybe a month ago uh which would be three starts ago for whitlock that it's worth watching that he's trying to get guys out rather than attack guys. He's trying to get guys out with his soft stuff early, not trying to empty the tank on the first time seeing hitters. And that's why his strikeout numbers have been down. Charlie mentioned his only one strikeout, I believe in his last two outings, unless I'm mistaken. And that's not what you want from Whitlock. I would rather have him go four innings and not let anyone on the base paths than what happened in his last start. And I realized the numbers look good, but he induced five double plays, and that's not going to happen every single time. Some of those are going to find a hole, and you're going to give up some runs. So who are you taking? Uh, you took the Angels in uh, game two. I did. Two. I took the Angels in game two. All right. Game three, this is a great matchup on paper. Uh, Nathan Avaldi versus Shohei Otani. Job? Well... Uh, you guys can see my expression on that one. I, I hate this because this was the one game that I really thought we were going to win. It was going to be a sure thing. I didn't have Otani written down as my probable pitcher matchup. And he just got rocked. And he's one of those guys, like, like Charlie mentioned about Syndergaard, he rarely gets rocked twice in a row. He's too good of a player for that. Makes me nervous. I, I'm going to take the Red Sox, but it's going to be a close game. You're on mute, I'm Charlie. going okay. no no yeah so I'm I'm going Red Sox game three um Valdi's absolutely on fire and and I can't I can't bet against that there's just no way I can't do it so I'm gonna go EO for game three and the Red Sox will be up two games to one in Otani's May fifth start against the Red Sox he lasted seven innings on six hits no earned runs struck out eleven. I have to go with uh, the Angels in this one. I just, I'm not, I'm just <laughs> not a fan of having to play against Otani. I might feel a little differently in Fenway, but that was the line I just gave you. He he put that up against us at Fenway, and he got rocked in the Bronx. So uh, you me, can't feel confident about this game either way. Yeah, it's just a tough one. I'm just trying to look at his numbers real quick. So three runs, four runs, six. No. Oh, then he got he did get rocked at home against Toronto. So outside of that Toronto um, start where he gave up five runs, he had only given up four runs at home before that. So he pitches particularly well uh, out there in Anaheim. But either way, I've got the Red Sox losing uh, – Two out of the three so far. So let's go into game four. That is Nick Pavetta versus Chase Silseth, who I have never heard of. I've also never heard of him. Um, <laughs> this is going to be no surprise. I think this might be the one we all agree on. I think we're going for a series split here uh, behind Nick Pavetta. Some Pavetta numbers. We already talked about how good he's been of late. He's last seven starts. He's five and one with a one seven nine ERA, forty five and a third innings, twenty eight hits, nine earned runs, eight walks, forty two strikeouts. 
for a 0.79 whip. So the numbers speak for themselves. He's been dominant. I expect him to continue to ride that wave. I also think that pitching behind Nathan Avaldi does wonders for Pavetta's win totals because the bullpen's a little bit more rested. And uh, I think we win this one. We split the series 2-2. Two, two. Charlie? I, uh, I'm i feeling really confident here. Um, you know, I said that we were going to win two out of three so far. Pavetta and Silseth, I know that the, the Angels have been struggling as of late. I don't know anything about Silseth. Like, to, ad- admittedly so. He's had only a couple of games played. But Pavetta is doing absolute fire right now. I I think I'm going to go three games to one here. And I'm going to say that we are going to find ourselves over 500. I'm going to be the optimist. And we're going to get it done. That's it. We're going to take three. Well, I'm going to join the Pavetta party and uh, pick him. If you want to play devil's advocate, I mean, we've never seen Silseth and... When that, and we get hit by guys we've never seen. And we, we get shut down, yeah. Uh, so, uh, but I'm still going to, based on the fact, you know, Trout slumping, don't have Taylor Ward, I'm still going to, um, I'm going to take the more robust doubles hitting uh, Red Sox here to for a series split. But I'm rooting for Charlie because he's got us winning the most. So, Me too. That's how we have it. We will wrap on this episode. Be back tomorrow for Hot Take Tuesday. Looks like there were some good ones submitted by our followers, so we will get to those uh, on tomorrow's show. Everyone have a good start to your work week. Take care.